Now, I don't know if, if you're aware of this or not, but the poet, Lord Alfred Tennyson, told us more than a century ago that spring is the time when young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love. I don't know if you're aware of that. And, you know, I, I by no means am a young man anymore, but I do love this time of year. I love when daylight savings time kicks in. I love that the, the days are getting longer. I love, how many of y'all also get excited the first time you see blue bonnets pop up on the side of the highway? I, I do, I'm not a big flower guy per se, but I do. I love it when the blue bonnets are out. I, I get really, really jacked about blue bonnets. That's the only flower that, and any paintbrush too, but I love that. I, I love this time of year. And, and what it means, you know, the days are longer, but the mornings are still kind of cool and crisp, and the days aren't too hot yet. It's, it's a great time. But it's not just about springtime for me. Because as I notice the weather starting to change and the days starting to get a little longer, it also means that tarpon season is upon us. Now, tarpon season is one of those times, if you've ever caught the fever, you are a lifetime carrier of this disease. It is an amazing thing. And the reality is we can catch tarpon here in Texas. Tarpon numbers have been on the rise in the last few years, but, everybody say but, but if you want to chase big numbers of big tarpon, the Florida Keys the Keys is the place to bees, man. I mean, that's where you have got to go. And just, just by way of teaching and illustration, I want to make sure everybody understands what I'm talking about when I'm talking about fishing for tarpon. Take a look at this picture real quick. That right there, <laughs> I mean, I, it's, I get a little twitchy just looking at the picture. There's nothing like spotting 100-pound fish 100 feet away in gin clear waters and then lifting the fly into the air and dropping it about, I don't know, 40 or 50 or Lord willing, 60 feet right in the path of that fish. And as it swims by, just reflexively opens that big old bucket mouth and slurps the fly and continues on its way until, oh, until when you pull that line tight and the hook finds its purchase in that cinder block mouth of the tarpon, and all of a sudden it is game on, and this 100-pound behemoth launches out of the water like a missile launched out of a submarine. It, I, I can't, I've already said too much. I, I can't, it is absolutely indescribable. Now, over the years, I've had the good fortune of getting to chase the tarpon with my good buddy David Hughes, and David took a picture of your pastor at this critical moment. Look at that. Let me just tell you right now, if you're not twitchy right now, you need to go to the doctor after this service. <laughs> that is one of the greatest moments in outdoor living, that, in, in any kind of living, that the world has ever known. And just for the record, that's a big fish. That is a pig of a tarpon that I did not catch. But I did jump her. <laughs> I did jump. I mean, she came out of the water. It was ugh, unbelievable. I also, I've got a real quick video that I want to show you of, that I shot of Pastor David hooking a tarpon. Check this out real quick. Yeah, I think you hooked her. Uh, it's a solid 90. It's a 
Now, I, I don't know if you heard that right there, but after I said she's big, David, which, by the way, scientists have been studying tarpon for years, and it's a known scientific fact that tarpon is the only species in the world that you can say she's big and it's received as a compliment. I don't, that's just one of those times. But I don't know if you can hear the guide going, well, she's a solid 90, maybe 100 pound. That's a 100 pound fish screaming out of the water attached to what amounts to a cane pole hanging in your hand. It's unbelievable. Now, over the years, David and I have had some good days. We've had some bad days. We've had epic days and horrific days. And through all of our fishing experiences, we've kind of developed an angling mantra that we really try to live by. And I want to teach it to you this morning. Our mantra as anglers is this. One fish will change your life. One fish will change. As a matter of fact, tell your neighbor right now with Sunday morning passion and enthusiasm, second service power, one fish will change your life. Now, <clears throat> we typically invoke this, this mantra or this motto on the days that are tough, on those days when you wake up and the wind is just whipping and flags are, are sti- stuck stiff in the breeze and the palm trees are swaying to and fro and you kind of look at it and go, man, this is going to be a tough day of fishing. You go, David, one fish will change your life. You get on that boat and hush your mouth. I mean, that, that's just kind of the mindset that you have to have as an angler. It's also the mindset that we have to have as followers of Jesus Christ. Because what's true on the water is equally true from the Word of God. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, after a supernatural fishing excursion, communicates essentially the same thing, but in a very different way. What he tells his followers, not only 12 disciples and the newest disciples that are called here in Luke chapter 5, but you and me, anyone who would follow Jesus at any point in time is that one fish will change your life. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be there today for a, few, for a little while. And as you're looking up Luke 5, whether it's on your phone or, or maybe in an actual book of a Bible, I want to just kind of set some context for you. This is one of the most well-known sayings of Jesus. It happens at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. We know historically that Jesus lived about 33 years before he went to the cross. We know from the biblical record as well as extra-biblical sources that his ministry was about three years or so. And so this is at the very beginning of his earthly ministry when he's kind of coming out of obscurity and and beginning to to preach publicly. And and it's at this this coming out party, if you will, when Jesus makes the now famous declaration and, and announcement and pronouncement that anyone who would follow him will be a fisher of men, that, that followers of Jesus fish for people. And it happened there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Look with me on your, in your Bible at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is, what, this is what the Bible says. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Now he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them 
and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who we know, of course, became Peter, but he asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now, here in Luke chapter 5 is an amazing paradigm for you and me. And I understand as soon as I talk about sharing your faith or talking to other people about Jesus, the vast majority of us in this room just kind of tense up a little bit. Some of you right now are thinking to yourself, "Mm -mm, not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit here. I will not amen one single sentence in this sermon. And I'm just going to hold on until whatever's next week. I hope next week is about tithing, but I am not going to talk to people about Jesus. And I get that. It can be intimidating if you don't understand how to do it. If you don't understand the biblical Jesus mandate to do it. But also, if you don't understand the fact that one fish will change your life. One fish. One one hook up with a person far from God that you introduce to a relationship with Jesus and you will never, ever be the same. And here in Luke chapter 5, there's a paradigm, there's a pattern for us to follow. Now for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Peace Out. And we've examined and began with the fact that Jesus, in the act of Easter, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus provides for us a peace that passes our powers of perception. You you can't get your mind around the peace that is offered in Jesus. All all you can really do is experience it. All you can really do is own it, but it's never intended to just rest with us. Yes, God gives it to us, but today is a pivot point in this series because today is where we take it from, from something that comes to us to also making it something that flows through us. And this is where we go from peace and the concept and the experience of it to the expression of it, and it it radiates out of our lives. Because every blessing that God has given us, he intends for us to experience and to enjoy, but also for us to share and express with the people around us. And, And here in this very beginning stage of this moment at the supernatural fishing expedition in the life of Jesus is a great, great example for us to follow. What did it say there? It said that Jesus noticed the boats that were there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he asked the owner, who turned out to be Simon Peter, he said, hey, can I, can I borrow your boat? And just, just push me out into the water. And here you see Jesus repurposed the boat as a pulpit as a as a pulpit as a as a platform now pulpit is an old church word pulpit is what used to be in, in old traditional great healthy churches it was where the priest or maybe the pastor or the preacher would stand behind a, a set anchored point on the platform and preach the word of god there, there's nothing wrong with a pulpit a pulpit is great a pulpit is not biblically mandated As a matter of fact, isn't it interesting how rarely Jesus was ever constrained by our religious rituals and routines? Here here Jesus turns just a common boat into a pulpit. And I think 
in that is a powerful lesson for you and me. And, and it's this. Every single Christ follower, every person who follows Jesus has a pulpit. You've got a pulpit. I've got a pulpit. All God's chillin' got a pulpit. Sorry, I'm, I'm glad y'all are far away from here. Y'all are kind of in the splash zone when I go pulpit. We've all got one. Now, your pulpit may be school. It may be the people you hang out with, the people you sit at the lunchroom cafeteria table with. It may be a sports team that you play on or maybe a choir or some other extracurricular organization you're a part of, but that God's given you that as an opportunity. That's your, that's your pulpit from which your life proclaims the power of a relationship of this peace that Jesus provides. For, for others, it, it may be the neighborhood. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, and, and, and man, you love the park because the park is where you go to stay sane. You get out of the house, and you take your toddler to the park, and there are other parents doing the same thing, and they're kind of, hey, how are you? Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, I'm great. Super. The park may be your pulpit, Maybe, maybe, it's your, maybe it's your CrossFit gym where, where you work out and you, you do your wad, man. You, you do that workout of the day and in between wall ball shots and hanging cleans and, and all that other great burpy stuff. You go, man, the, the plyo box, that, that, could be my, that could be my pulpit. I, I could be building relationships that help me to fish because Jesus said... If you're going to follow me, you're going to fish. Maybe it's, maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe your pulpit is your profession, what, what you do for a living. Now, you have to be wise. You, you, can't, you can't be the, the weird Christian who walks into work and, and is offensive. And, and you know, you, you've got to be smart and shrewd and prayed up. But your profession and how you handle yourself at work, the ethics and integrity with which you work, can become a powerful proclamation of your faith in Christ. But we've all got, we've all got a pulpit. I thought about something else. As a matter of fact, the boat that, that Jesus pushed out into the Sea of Galilee, we actually have a really very good idea what this boat looked like. In 1986, two brothers were walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and in 1986, there was a tremendous drought there in Palestine. And the waters of the Sea of Galilee had receded to such a degree that they, they noticed something encased in the mud there along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And because these brothers, these Jewish brothers are actually amateur archaeologists, they began kind of digging in the mud. And I want you to see what they uncovered in the Sea of Galilee mud. This is an actual fishing boat. This is, this is the Galilee Boat Museum in Israel. We, we saw this on our tour there about a year and a half ago. We will go back in November. Anybody who wants to be a part of the trip to Israel, we're going to be going back. This boat will be on our tour. But this boat dates to right around the time of Jesus. Radiocarbon dating dates it between 50 B.C. and 50 A.D., so right around the time that Jesus was alive, there were also shards of pottery and the nails that were used, archaeologists have dated to that exact same time period. 
But this boat was preserved and did not deteriorate. It was made out of wood, obviously, but it was preserved because it was stuck in the mud. And so that mud protected it from the elements and from the air that would have led to its deterioration. And you ought to go online and just look up Sea of Galilee boat and look at how they engineered the restoration and the rescue of this boat. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But this was the pulpit that Jesus used. This was like the exact pulpit that Jesus used there in the Sea of Galilee in Luke chapter number 5. And as I look at that boat, and it's made out of wood, you you can't help but think about what it had to smell like. I mean, you know, this was long before fiberglass hulls. You know, Peter didn't, like, pull it back in and lift it up out of the water and kind of hose it down like they do nowadays. I mean, this, this boat held fish every single day. This was how Peter made his living and his brother, Andrew. Now, you don't have to have a vivid imagination. You just got to have an okay imagination to imagine that when this bottom of the boat was filled with fish, don't you know that wood hung on to the smell? Don't, don't you know that that boat was just ripe? When Jesus used it as a pulpit, same thing's true in our lives. A lot of times, actually not a lot of times, most of the time, Jesus will repurpose our pain as a pulpit. The very areas that have hurt the most in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his power, in his love, Jesus can repurpose and use for good in our lives and in other people's lives through our lives. So when we're, when the, when we're in the middle of a stinky fish season, when we're in the middle of pain and hurt and turmoil, the prayer is, God, show me. Show me your face. Show me yourself and how to use this for your purposes. Because we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's up to us to discern his heart, and to follow his lead. It's that that pulpit. But the exchange with Jesus and Simon Peter and others continues in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, it goes on, verses 4 through 7. Now, when he had finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon Peter, Now go out where it is deeper, and let down your nets... To catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. How many of y'all like to fish? Can I just see a show of hands? Let me see if you like to fish. Is there anything more frustrating than being on the water all day? Now, he was a professional fisherman. They fish at night. They're smart. But when you're on the water for 8, 9, 10, 12 hours and you don't catch anything... That is a a whip. But look at what Peter said. He said, we didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats 
were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, this is awesome. Because not only does Luke chapter 5 show us about the pulpit, but it also shows us that in the context of the church, God will give us the pulpit, but he also will give us partnerships. He'll give us, he'll give us partnerships to work with other people for the purposes of fishing. It's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this kind of open letter to the church at Corinth, Paul knew that they were arguing amongst themselves there in Corinth. They were, they were kind of having a political squabble in Corinth. And there were some people in the church in Corinth who were saying, well, you know, Apollos led me to Christ, and so he's really the man. Paul's okay, but Apollos, he's, he's on another level. And others were saying, Yo, well, you know, Paul, Apollos was okay, but Paul is the one who started the church. Paul is the one who, first of all, introduced us to the concept of Jesus, to the person of Jesus. And Paul says, enough. This isn't about who's going to get the better seat when we come to visit. This isn't about the Fellowship Hall of Fame there in the church in Corinth. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God makes them grow. There's this supernatural divine partnership that happens when we choose to follow Jesus and fish, and we work together. You do what I can't do. I do what you can't do. And supernaturally in his grace, in his sovereign wisdom and love, God makes it work. You've got gifts and talents I don't have. I've got some you don't have. And yet God supernaturally meshes all those gears together to make a beautiful, powerful, strong body of Christ. Now, I could... I could kind of continue and, and diesel on and describe this dynamic to you, but I'd rather show you. Ra rather, than, rather than tell you, I I'd rather show you what this looks like. Check this out. My family and I moved here um, in 2005. Me and my mom came to the divorce care at uh, Lake Hills Church. When I met Carson in seventh grade, it kind of changed my perspective just a little bit. We were like, let's go try out this church service together. I mean, we had no idea what Lake Hills was. And mm -hmm. we went on a Sunday morning to a middle school church service. And I mean, we just loved it so much. And we got to like play games and worship and stuff. And that's just what every middle school kid wants to do. But at the same time, as we're playing games and worshiping, we're also getting so close to Christ and getting so close and building all these relationships. My whole life I actually went to church with my family, but it was nothing like I didn't have a relationship with God. I kind of came to church and just kind of went through the motions and stuff. Finally, kind of towards the end of seventh grade and the beginning of eighth grade, uh, I committed my life to Christ. And I still remember the way Dan said it. He said, if anyone in this room is a first timer and needs to commit their life to Christ, just raise your head and catch eyes with me. I still remember looking up at Dan and Dan's just huge smile and it gave me chills. About a year later at the end of eighth grade year, we actually got baptized side by side. That was kind of life changing and I realized at that point how I wanted to keep growing my life through Christ and allowing myself to be a better person and, and just get to know him a lot more. And, grow my relationship with him. We still have our shirts that we got baptized in. Mine's actually hanging up in my room. And so it just, it, it reminds me every day of what I've gone through and how my relationship started at one point and it's just grown ever since. 
I was sitting at lunch and I saw, I didn't know him at the time, but Pastor Dan, our youth pastor, walking around like he still does in our high school cafeteria, going to tables of kids he has never even seen before or met before. And he had Carson and Blake with him by the time they got to my table. And he just said, have any of you guys heard a crash? And I was like, no, sir, I have no idea. And they started to explain to everybody at the table like what crash was and everything. So I actually went that night to crash and they welcomed me with open arms. I felt actually right at home and I committed my life to Christ that night. I was doing good for a while and then high school hit and I was playing football and I started to hurt my knees, started getting multiple knee surgeries. I actually got five knee surgeries my freshman and sophomore year. Couldn't walk 36 weeks out of the year because I was on crutches and couldn't get out of my bed for a month because I was just in so much pain. And I was just like, there's no way there's a God, like there's a God if there's all this awful things happen to me. So I kind of just fell off track immediately, started hanging around with like the wrong friend group, started doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. I just remember him kind of going off track and we were both there just as, you know, friends when the smart decisions weren't made, you know, we were the ones to say, hey, that was not smart. What were you thinking? You're better than that. I was sitting in bed one night and I kind of broke down and I, I prayed to God and I was like, God, please help me out. I want to live my life for you, God. I want to give everything I have to you and please take the sadness away, take this pain away, God. And like immediately after that prayer, I felt so much better, like so much better. I mean, it was insane. It's like one of those God things that you really can't explain. My friendships with these guys are so important and like having them to keep me accountable is amazing, but ultimately my relationship with Christ is really what gets me going. I remember in middle school looking up to the leaders that were in the middle school services and how they were just being such amazing role models and I just felt at the time that like that's what we wanted to do when we get older is to serve the generation below us and show them the right way. Me and Blake at first decided, okay, we need to start giving back. We all started uh, serving together and that's just like we started giving back more and more and then we started doing other stuff to give back and it just led to more and more uh, yeah. serving opportunities. The church has allowed us to have a place to call our second home. Every Sunday you, you can find us at the 9.30 service helping in the K-1-2 and just keeping the room alive and allowing the kids to learn more and more and more about Jesus Christ. And so. The coolest thing really to me about serving in the kids building is how they kind of relate the messages in the kids building to the main worship center. Yeah. And it's cool how it sparks a conversation in, in, like, in, in a family. It goes to show like how much these kids are actually learning in their service, you know, it's not a daycare. It's like, these kids are actually learning more and more about Christ. So the thing we do Wednesday night in small groups is kind of sit down together and say, all right, who's next? Who do we need to get here and yeah. who do we need to invite? The feelings of anxiety that overwhelm you of like asking somebody and being like, hey, wanna come to church? The feeling of seeing somebody commit their life to Christ sitting right next to you overwhelms or overcomes any feelings, any negative feelings by far. You bring in one person and then they go to their friend group and they bring in one more person and then that person brings in another person. It's just a, it's a huge domino effect. And right. That's how what I call our family at church is, has grown so much. You know, it started out with just us three and now we have a group message that is full of 35 people. I think the biggest thing we take from our friendships is the impact that you can make by just stepping out, taking out with the faith, mm -hmm. by just inviting one person. 
if Dan wouldn't invited me and Blake to church, uh, me and Blake wouldn't invited our families. Me and Blake wouldn't invited yeah. Ethan, Ethan, and Ethan wouldn't invited his family. My brother, and then my parents, and then my grandparents have even been, and they love it. It's just crazy how just a single, hey, do you want to go to church? Affects and changes someone's life. It all starts with an invite. Are you kidding me? High school guys. High school guys. Be one thing if girls were doing it. High school guys stepping out of their comfort zone and fishing. One fish will change your life. You will never go to church the same. You'll never wake up on Sunday morning again the same way. You'll actually get to church on time. If you go fishing, if you step outside of your comfort zone, one fish will change your life. You see, evangelism is the non-negotiable, essential act of a follower of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus and not fish. If you follow, you fish. Bottom line. And it's amazing what evangelism does, not just for the people that we reach out to, not just for the people we pray for, but what it does for us. Evangelism covers over a multitude of sins. Evangelism covers over the spiritual sin of gluttony. Spiritual gluttony is just taking in religious calories and carbs more than we're putting out. Religious Gluttony. Another, another way that you could look at religious gluttony is, is comfortable. If you're striving for spiritual comfort, it, you may be guilty of spiritual gluttony. Evangelism covers over the spiritual sin of pride. When, when you get serious about fishing and reaching out to people, you're reminded of your own need for amazing grace. You, you never forget that, hey, before they need grace. I needed grace. I needed forgiveness. I know what I'm guilty of. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I want to share that with you. I'm not, I'm not, there's absolutely no room for superiority at the foot of the cross. Evangelism covers over the, the sin of, of spiritual entitlement, of living under the delusion that somehow God owes us something, the delusion that I deserve something. When you think of amazing grace, you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus that no one should boast. You, you remember, yeah, I, I, I didn't deserve anything. I, I, didn't, I wasn't a good guy, so I got into heaven. I wasn't a good girl, so God kind of winked at me. Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring me from death to life. And so I'm, I'm entitled to nothing. God, I owe everything. One fish 
will change your life. One fish, just, just one time. And if you're not ready yet to have a conversation, invite somebody. Well, what you just saw with those three high school guys, let me tell you something. They are pillars of our church. Pillars of our church. That's who we are. That's why we invite. That's why we hand out invitation cards. That's why we printed crazy t-shirts to wear around town. Because one fish will change your life. Get out and fish. Do what you got to do to reach out to the people around you. Because you got a pulpit. And it's not just that Jesus wants you to use it. Jesus expects us to use it. He expects it of us. He requires it of us. And when you think of how extravagantly he loves us, it just makes you want to do what pleases him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. But as you bow your heads, don't check out. And I want to ask you, please do not leave. Don't, don't be moving around and creating a distraction because you feel like getting to lubies. It's too important what God's doing right now. I think it's important for us to understand what it is that we're offering when we go fish. We're offering people the gospel of Jesus. The reality, the promise of peace. The promise of the life that is truly life that Jesus facilitated through his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that promise, into that life, we want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. Just to pray right where you're sitting. Just pray a prayer of commitment, of surrender to Jesus. The only one who could never and would never take advantage of your surrender. Just, just pray right where you're sitting. Silently talk to God. He, he'll know. He, he knows your heart already. Just pray something like this. Just say silently where you're sitting. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And beginning right now, I will follow you. I confess my sin, all of it, holding nothing back to claim your forgiveness, all of it. And Holy Spirit, I ask for the power to repent, to turn away from it, and to follow Jesus with everything that I've got. Jesus, thank you for hearing this prayer, for fulfilling your promise to forgive and to direct and guide my life. I pray this prayer in your name.
Now, for just a moment, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would, I want to just take a second. If that was your prayer, don't let this moment pass. Don't let it happen in a vacuum. And then it just kind of evaporates when you walk out the door. This is the greatest moment of your life. It's a moment to be marked. It's a moment to be built on. And so as a church, we want to help in any way that we can. We want to serve you in the aftermath of this moment. And that's what the Connect card is for in your program. If you would, just before you leave, fill that Connect card out and indicate there, I'm I'm committing my life to Christ today so that we can help, so that we can serve you and come alongside and learn and grow with you. You can tear it off at the perforation there on the fold. And just before you leave, just take a brief moment and make a personal connection with one of our ushers. Just hand it to them on your way out the door. They're the really handsome and attractive people wearing those great-looking blue shirts. You can just hand it to one of them so that we can help. But then secondly... As our heads are bowed for just another moment, if, if you would, would you just mark this moment by raising your hand? Just raising your hand and holding it up high over your head for a moment to indicate that you committed your life to Christ today because you need to mark this moment and to know that it was real, that God did that and you responded to his grace and that it's a once and for all prayer that begins a process a relationship with God. But as you raise your hands, you're also marking this moment in the life of this church. The whole reason we're here is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. We're a church that believes in fishing. And so as a church, we honor that. We celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we love to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.